This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1157, entitled <laughs> Taika Ticket and Waititi, because you'll just have to get in line if you want to congratulate the New Zealand-born director for his magnificent take on Thor. In fact, fantastic Thor. You see what I did there, bro? I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And our podcast title today is uh, Jigpod because, well, for reasons that have become obvious, going to have a little wee chat with Michael and Peter Spyrig, the Spyrig brothers, about their latest and previous movies leading into this weekend's premiere of the new Saw movie, Jigsaw. <laughs> and, um, well, we have Thor Ragnarok as well to have a look at, which we'll try and keep spoiler-free. I think so. Yeah, it's pretty early days for it. Yeah, but what's your excuse? I've had a whole four days. <laughs> to be fair, the trailer does a decent amount of spoiling for us. So. <laughs> How many days have they had? Thor days. Okay. Uh, but first, I'd like to give a little farewell to John Mollo, costume designer who was born on the 18th of March in 1931 and has passed away on the 25th of October. He was a British motion picture television costume designer and, uh, and military advisor and also military uniform historian. Uh, I thought he uh, brought a lot of convincing verisimilitude to the screen and a bit of order to a chaotic field of costuming study, which is to say military uniforms. And he comes from a family of uh, buffs about that too. Uh, Andrew Mollo, his brother, has also written quite a few books on the subject. Films that he contributed to in one of these particular departments or another, The Charge of the Light Brigade, Nicholas and Alexandra, Barry Lyndon, Star Wars. So yeah, every time you watch Star Wars, um, most of the uh, the non-stormtrooper sort of costumes are his work. Alien, uh, Zulu Dawn, the Empire Strikes Back, Outland, Gandhi, Greystoke, Cry of Freedom, Chaplin, The Free Musketeers, The Jungle Book in 1994, that is, and Event Horizon, as, mm, as well as the magnificent Hornblower and Sharp television series from the 1990s to the 2000s. He wrote a really seminal book about uh, military fashion, entitled exactly that in 1972, which is a, a lavish piece of work. If you ever get a chance to see a copy and you happen to be a costumer, make sure you get that for your collection because it's a beaut book. And, of course, he's also uh, featured heavily, including in the foreword of the uh, Star Wars costumes books, uh, the one, the original trilogy. Uh, I think he wrote one of the forewords to that one too. So it works to look out for. So I'm very sad to see him no longer with us. Now, on uh, a happier, if more than likely gorier subject, the Spyrig brothers mm-hmm. cycled through. What number is this at? Uh, I think it's number eight. Goodness me. Not eight Spyrig brothers, 
but the eighth in the Saw franchise, Jigsaw. You wouldn't think there'd be anything left to get out of that, but uh, had a little bit of a chat with them as they wafted through and uh, um, got a bit of um, information out about that, as well as uh, some of their many previous genre films. But, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. And after, uh, after we've had a chat with them, a little bit of a, a giveaway, I think. Nice. In 2004, James Wan and Lee Winnell released the first of the Saw movies, beginning an eight-movie horror series, whose latest entry is directed by Michael and Peter Spyrig. A year before the evil games of the jigsaw killer first saw light, the Spyrig brothers gave us their own remarkable homegrown Aussie zombie comedy, Undead, eventually following it in 2010 with the cleverly detailed futuristic vampire society film, Daybreakers. In 2014, they went on to adapt the Robert Heinlein short story, All You Zombies, for the screen into the excellently mind-bending time travel movie Predestination. They've also completed filming Winchester, a story about the famously sprawling 161-room spooky California mansion. G'day, Michael and Peter. Hi, how are you? Sounds like we've been busy. <laughs> Now, the Stephen King miniseries aside, I can't believe that the Winchester house hasn't been the subject of a proper horror movie before. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite unusual that it has, and I can tell you that through the history of, of, of uh, that house, and certainly over the last 20 years, a number of people have tried to make that into a film, and, and I believe Stephen King was, was one of them. But uh, uh, the, um, the fact that we've had the opportunity to make it is, is fantastic and, and it feels like it's the right time to tell that story. Is it your Overlook Hotel? <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hope so. I mean, I, I love The Shining and, and certainly um, to use that as a reference would be great. I, I, I think that it's, it's definitely a scary movie and, and um, spooky haunted house story and it's, it's so wonderful to have such incredible cast in that film. You know, Helen Mirren stars and that alongside Jason Clark and Sarah Snook. So it's, it's a joy to have such an amazing cast in a, in a spooky haunted house movie. Okay, so it's a, it's a ghost story. You've done zombies, vampires, time travel, and now with Jigsaw, a game-playing serial killer, you're certainly hopping the genres there. If there was one genre that you could tackle next, what would it be? Romantic comedy. <laughs> um, quite, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I think uh, it's not, we've never done something because of the genre. It's always sort of been about the story. So it's not, we're not that specific. I, I, I think that our strengths are probably more in the sort of science fiction world or, or, or the, certainly the genre picture world. But, but where we get excited about stories, that's where, you know, that's how we pick out genre really more than anything. And, you know, like, I'm, we're, we're just happy to have a job. You know, like it, it, it's it's a pretty tough it's a pretty tough tough business, and and to have these opportunities is is rare, and we certainly appreciate it. So happy to work. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. You did Undead with Lionsgate Entertainment, and Jigsaw is also Lionsgate. Who approached who? Well, and Daybreakers in the U.S. was also uh, Lionsgate. Um, we we had known um, the executives at Lionsgate since yeah, since Undead, and we'd also known uh, Lee Winnell and James Wan for a long time as well. So there was it was sort of a um, 
I guess, a combination between Lionsgate calling us up and saying, uh, we have this script, we, we have this secret script we want you to read. Um, and, we, and, and again, we knew some of the producers as well. So, so they sort of invited us in and we, we sort of were locked in this boardroom and, and we read this secret script that was Jigsaw. Um, and, you know, the funny thing was, like, at first, I, Peter and I were a little apprehensive. It's like, because we, we kind of had a feeling it was going to be a Saw film. We were a little apprehensive. Like, do we want to do the eighth film in a franchise? I don't, I don't know. Um, and, then, and then we read the script and were so pleasantly surprised at how clever all the twists and turns were and, and how interesting uh, subject matter and characters were. So, so we were kind of intrigued. And, and then we sort of pitched our version of it, which was not quite a, not as, not as brutal as vicious a film as perhaps some of the other films, um, still being, of course, quite gory and, and pretty intense. But um, we sort of pitched a slightly different version of the series and, and thinking the producers were going to say no, and of course not, but, but they, they were excited by it, um, and, and it sort of went from there. I mean, it was pretty quick. We, we made that film pretty quickly, and, and it, sort of, it, it, it sort of came together very quickly. It's um it's interesting. This is the first film I think that you haven't been the writers on as well. Yeah, you know that's that's true. We've we've written everything that we've done, and in, including Winchester as well. So so it's a new experience coming into a, a situation where where we've worked with other writers and 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 um, working in, a, in an established franchise as well. It um it's uh, maybe we've. Uh, Adapting all you zombies, maybe that helped ease the transition because you were kind of working with Robert Heinlein there, even though he's passed away. <laughs> yeah, you know that's absolutely true, and and you know that was one of my favourite experiences. Michael, my, my favourite experiences writing a screenplay was to have such strong material to as, as the the basis for what we were working with, and and whenever we were sort of unsure of what we were doing, we could always go back to that material. So. It felt like, uh, you know, we were on the right track as long as we were staying true to his work. I, I was just thinking with uh, Predestination, it, it felt very much like it was made in the period that Heinlein actually wrote the story. So we're talking about, you know, half a, half a century ago, roughly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our goal was to, um, to, to do Heinlein's version of, of the future, not to do the future that we know. We wanted it to be as if, uh, we we yeah got the material in the late fifties and we were making that version, uh, which is a lot of fun because it's that alternate universe stuff that I'm I'm I really like uh, uh, like watching it. Uh, okay, um, Australia has always infused your films, and you even managed to film part of the Winchester here in uh, Melbourne at Ripon Land Como House. Now I noticed in the Jigsaw trailer when some of the victims were wearing buckets with Ned Kelly visors cut into them. Was that a tip of the helmet to Australia's most infamous son? It certainly it certainly wasn't a, a coincidence. <laughs> you know, we talked about it and, and said this is very Ned Kelly. Uh, you know, and our cinematographer was an Australian. One, our, our, one of our leads in Jigsaw is is a Brisbane boy as well. So there's a there's an Australian influence in that film. That's for sure. Guys, um, Jigsaw's signature Infernal Machines are always rusty. Do you think you should in, he should invest in a can of WD forty? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sure. There's, um, there's a certain approach in this film where some of the uh, contraptions are, are a little bit more modern. Um, the rusty stuff is, uh, has been changed, uh, um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons 
why things are different, um, and uh, you'll have to see the film to find out. All right, we look forward to it. Uh, thank you to Michael and Peter Spyrig for coming in, having a bit of a chat today about their new film, Jigsaw, and remember us when it comes out, and also, uh, of course, when Winchester comes out. Very much looking forward to that. Great. Well, thanks for that. Thank and, you for your time. Thanks a lot. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero, G comes last, Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Spooktober Halloween Festival is back for five days only. Explore the haunted houses, the family-friendly trick-or-treat manor, or wait till dark to brave terrifying scares in Blood Manor and the Dole Factory. Plus, trick-or-treat trail, Halloween games, costume contests, a food truck park, drunken pumpkin bar, and more. On today until Tuesday the 31st at the St Kilda Town Hall. Free entry to the festival grounds. For all the gory details, go to spooktober.com.au. Sponsoring Triple R. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Drunken pumpkin. <laughs> I, I actually have, have difficulty saying that. Drunken pumpkin. I know, I did it. Ha ha. <laughs> I sound like Fandral in... Um, in Thor, everything that Fandral of the Warriors Free would say would be preceded by a ha-ha because <laughs> he was doing the whole Errol Flynn thing. Oh, dear. Okay, the Spyrig brothers there having a little bit of a chat about some of their old and new movies. Yes. Hmm. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Okay, now we are off into Thor space. Flying into Asgard. So just stand back while I whirl Molnir or Mew Mew, as Kat Dennings calls it. In uh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I miss her. Yeah, we're going in a bit of a fresh direction. Yeah. Hey, is it a spoiler to tell people who's not in the film? I don't think so. I think that it's pretty obvious from the trailer, a lot of the things that I think the movie tries to set up. As okay. a surprise. So, well, actually, that's an interest, a fruitful area of discussion. Um, if you are fans of um, Dr. Eric Selvig, mm. <laughs> he's not in it. Uh, if you are fans of um, da, 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 uh, Sif. Yes. Lady Sif. She's not in it either. Um, uh, Jamie Alexander was um, busy doing her television show. Blind Spot. Blind Spot, yeah. Uh, Which is fair enough. You know, I mean, you've got your regular series gig. You're not going to give it just to go running. Oh, oh, that's Marvel. I think it was going to be a small uh, role anyway. I am actually kind of glad she didn't show up. I also think that they're clearly trying to be a bit fresh, so... Yeah, yeah. I oh. get it. I get it. And Darcy isn't in it. No. Cat oh, oh, Dennings. Yeah, Cat Dennings. Oh, sad. And no, I mean, look, obviously no Natalie Portman. She's not been around for... ever. There's, n- there's no Nick Fury either, but there is a guy with an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> As you'd expect. Actually, I've always wanted to go on... Um, Nick to meet uh, Odin. Mm. Would they see patch to patch? Are they have the same eye or are they different eyes? Well, it depends. If you look into a mirror and, you know, there's all sorts of things, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> she, she has to think about that. I'm not that. sure if they're missing see, the same eye. I'm going to look that up. Maybe it means something. There are two ravens and, oh, never mind. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. You know from the trailer that one of the big songs is the immigrant song. Yes. Led Zeppelin. Now, of course, me being me, I never heard that song before until I heard it in the trailer. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? Yeah. The ever. only the ever. The only thing I know about Led Zeppelin is that they have a cool dirigible theme going on their album covers. Wow. 
Wow. Because, and, I mean... But, but, I do know the Battle of Evermore. Okay. But the only thing, because we played that. <laughs> the thing is, I think that Led Zeppelin are famous for being quite um, uh, reticent to give rights out to their music. So it's not actually... They're not in very many movies. It's quite hard to get the rights to use Led Zeppelin songs, especially the immigrant song. So I would imagine, unless you're at home listening to Led Zeppelin, Rob, that you probably wouldn't have been hearing it that much in movies no. and TV. No, exactly. That's Except a, for School of Rock. Thank another you. classic. Good save. I've not actually seen that one either. It's Immigrant Song <laughs> is also in that. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is not really surprising. Remember, I didn't know, I'd never heard K-San before. And I'm, you know, steeped in Vietnam era music, sort of, you know, World War, sort of, all that sort of stuff. There's <laughs> just, you know, my brain I is, think you said Beyonce one day too, which I yeah, thought yeah. was quite funny. <laughs> it's, it's, my brain is kind of majestical, that's all I can say. Beyonce. <laughs> anyway. Okay, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Now, without really spoiling it... Um, yes. Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok has a lot going for it. Mm. And we've done a bit of a retrospective on we him did. last week. We I think did. we're a bit steeped in his aesthetic. We know what he's about. So so just a couple of quick bits here. Um, this film's art production is hugely influenced by Jack Kirby's techno-cosmic take on the original Thor in the comics. Yeah. Um, and I was just drooling watching all of that stuff come to life. Oh, it was so beautiful. Um, and at times it's, um, it's piss-take humour. makes it feel like you're watching a what, do we, what We Do in the Avengers mockumentary. But I feel they're laughing at uh, with the superhero genre and not at it. Um, and there's not too much. Mm-hmm. Um, they playfully exploit the Thor, Loki, Hulk, Banner dynamic that Joss Whedon set up in the Avengers. Uh, and that goes back to the early days of the comics too, by the way. Uh, I saw it in IMAX 3D. It was gobstopping. I reckon the colours, and I can already think of some scenes that would have been pretty amazing. Mm. So, But I saw it in 2D mm-hmm. and it was still pretty cool. Yeah. So. I mean, some of the 3D that just wiped me out was some of the, oddly enough, scenes where the Hulk is belittled in this vast arena where he's fighting in. Those scenes would have been pretty cool. Yeah, but, I mean, it takes a lot to make the Hulk look puny. (laughs) But, you know, on the scale there, and I thought, it actually tells you how big the place is. And it's a new and interesting Hulk this time, which we'll get to later. So, Uh, The, um, and, you know, Kate Blanchett. (laughs) She's having a great time. She's having a... She's loving it. A a hella of a time. Yeah. and she has morphing, ra- morphing reindeer games, horns, antlers on her, her headdress, which is oh, is that so cool? <laughs> we talked, we did the uh, action figure the other week on Duro G too. Oh yes, that's a- right. And she's way better than the action figure. <laughs> <laughs> they have informed me. Um, and for those of you who are interested, Nick Fury and Odin are missing complementary eyes. So mm. Nick Fury is missing his left eye, and Odin's missing his right eye. I should know that. I got both the action figures. Yeah, you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So the um, the Thor Ragnarok movie is informed by at least three different comic books, mm. cycles, that is, um, sagas, arcs, if you like. Uh, there is the uh, the Planet Hulk yes. stories. He's got his own stuff going on. Uh, there are the very many different Thor Ragnarok cycles that have run through the uh, the main title comic of Thor, uh, also uh, contest of champions as well. 
um, which is a, another one that's very influential. But those ones, those basically encompass pretty much most of the material in this. That's not really a giveaway. Given its title is Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> which of course means uh, Twilight of the Gods or um, Fate mm. of the Gods or Final Destiny of the Gods, whichever way you want to put it. And it's their own particular apocalyptic cycle, their mythology that brings all the gods down. So... This actually sounds like pretty much of a downer, doesn't it, <laughs> when you think about it? But it's not. It's so much fun. Yeah, it is. Um, oh, it'd be hard to place how much fun it is on a scale of which of the other seven, uh, the other 16 um, MCU movies it um, uh, lines up with, but I, at least mm. as much fun as um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Oh, yeah. I think this is one of the better Marvel films that I've seen in a while. Definitely. And I think as well, because I went with um, someone who hasn't watched very many Marvel films or, you know, isn't isn't as into them, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, he, yeah, he said that he really enjoyed it and it was one of the better ones he'd seen. I think it's So I think it's quite accessible. You don't really need to have seen mm. much else in terms of um, the previous 16 <laughs> of anything. <laughs> oh, well, it would help if you'd seen Thor 1 and 2. It would help, but I, I think also... Um, I did re-watch those last week. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, la- watched um, Dark World before I went to see uh, Ragnarok. Um, so, exactly before. So, it was yeah. like, okay, now I, I, they do plug in quite well. Yeah, it does stitch up there, but yeah. I think you can get away if you if you aren't as across it mm-hmm. as well. So I, think um, I think it would be, very much be to your benefit to have seen some... Um, Taika Waititi films before then, mm. uh, just so you get an idea of where he's coming from. And it just makes the joke funnier, basically. I also think there's – I really enjoyed all of the kind of Australia-New Zealand humour and little nods that were in it as well. I think <laughs> yeah. even if you hadn't realised that it was by sort of, you know, You'd a tweak. director from around these these traps, that you would pick that up pretty quick once yeah. you started watching it. Yes, he's, uh, you can tell the Antipodean – oh, there's a, t- there's a podcast title – Antipodean uh, for the um, many laconic references in there. And I'm sure they probably use some special bailing wire to hold the uh, some of the things together in the film. Okay. Now, the uh, we, we really did cover um, um, Taika's uh, body of work last week on the show, so I'll refer you to back to last week's Zero G if you want to know more about the director's other work. Uh, this film does really much exhibit all of his characteristic traits. Mm. Um, actually, technically speaking, you know how we were saying that all of his films have a bit of animation in them? A little bit of hand-drawn animation? Yeah, or like <laughs> CG stuff, yeah. yeah. Technically speaking, this film has it all. Yeah. And don't forget, because it's part largely set, it's all CG, all animation. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, it's a bit... It's different, though, that the stuff yeah. is used. But I can, you know, I can go even further because it's set in Asgard partly um, and in Asgard they have this uh, tendency to have animated drawings on their actual frescoes. Oh, yeah, that's true. So there you go. That that's, bit was really cool. Yeah. That's been in the other films too, by the way. Mm. Um, all right. Um, the writers on this one, very influential on the plot, obviously. Um, uh, we've got... Um, uh, I've got his name down. Oh, yes, Eric Pearson. Uh, he's um, worked on a lot of the Marvel one-shots, which have always been humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
including the Agent Carter one, the Item 47 one, and a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's Hammer, Mm -hmm. the consultant. And he's been the story editor of the Agent Carter television series too. Uh, The other two influential people, Craig Kyle with uh, Christopher Yost, both of those are comic book writers, um, known for creating the X-23 character. Uh, and both have worked on a lot of Marvel animated films, including Planet Hulk, okay. Thor, Tales of Asgard, Hulk versus Thor, uh, as well as many of the other Marvel 2000s animated television shows. Um, Yost actually has written stuff for Batman and the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle television series. Um, so, you know, and also uh, probably key here, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes too. Oh, yeah. So, you know, all of that comes together in what I think is a very comic book literate um, story. So it'll resonate with you like a mallet striking you up the side of your battle helmet. And the core story, (laughs) I think, is such a good journey as well. Mm. So I think the the skeleton's there and then you've got a bit of the extra flair on top. Yeah, it's set two years after the Battle of Sokovia, Mm -hmm. which is in from Avengers Age of Ultron. And just as... um, the third Captain America movie sort of felt like it followed on from all of those events. So too does this Thor movie, and I think that's actually quite wise. Mm. Uh, Not that you really have to have seen those other movies. No, I don't think so. But uh, it does add into it. And I feel this is a very good MCU film. It it develops some things we've had before. Uh, It gives you some insights, some sometimes amusing insights to other things that have been planted in the other movies. Yeah. It's by far the most fun of the Thor films. Like, I think Mm. it's actually a really good vehicle for Thor's character and Chris Hemsworth to actually be be celebrated by his own franchise. I think that's been missing a little bit. It's a good vehicle for one of his brothers too. Yeah, but (laughs) but that's what I mean is that always um, Thor doesn't really get the spotlight or he doesn't really get to be the one that's the most interesting part of the storyline. And so I think it's nice that he gets that now. I was talking about one of Chris Hemsworth's brothers. Oh, ah. yeah, yeah, no. There's some, there's some fun cameos yeah, in there, there is. which we won't ruin. <laughs> no. Okay, so um, uh, we've got Thor. He's been scouring around the universe looking for some of those pesky infinity stones, mm. not having much luck. Um, the film starts with him pretty much down on his luck, <laughs> so he's not, yeah. not too happy at the start. Although, actually, you know, you can, you can do all sorts of terrible things to the Thor character and he pretty much feels like he's got it. You know, he's, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, I'm Thor, I'll get out. It's, mostly it works out all right. But I like that it sort of insinuates that it's a bit of false bravado yeah. as well. Yeah, because if you, if, you, if you sort of prick that, um, that's, that, 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 <laughs> that confidence, yeah. it's sort of like, oh, maybe I'm not so good. <laughs> I like that element of it. Um, Taika was saying that he'd, uh, he'd use the character of Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China to inform his yeah. take on Thor. As well as playing to Chris Hemsworth's um, natural comedic talents that we've seen before. I think, and there's a lot of good comic timing in this, even just from the direction to Chris Hemsworth. I'm glad they utilised that. Mm. They took it out into space this time, though, so that we didn't have to have too much of the uh, the fish out of water stuff. I mean, everybody's not at home in this story. And I think that's already been done. Like, I think that's a bit old news as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like having playing too much on the Captain America is from the 1940s sort of thing. Exactly. If there's only one, you know, oh, he's so uptight and straight-laced joke and then it sort of becomes quite old. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's Just right. like Look, him. Remember in um, Civil, Civil in um, Winter Soldier, mm. their, their main thing on that take for Cap was uh, to talk about his um, catching up. 
Yeah. He was, he was working at it, just studying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I just think that Chris Hemsworth is perfect in this one. Uh, he's really got the whole Thor character down pat and moved beyond that. Mm. So actually taking him outside of the, uh, the main Avengers group this time feels natural. Yeah. Yeah, he works well with Stark and, and Cap and everybody else. But this time, uh, you know, he's – well, we know that he's down to Hulk basically yeah. in this. And that's great because that is a really good dynamic. Yeah. Uh, Kate Blanchett, Hella. I yeah. just wanted more and more of her. She's having a good time here and I think I think she's used just enough. I don't think she's overused. I don't think she's underused. I actually do think that she's such a good choice for that. Yeah, yeah. She's she for the she, first female villain. How awful is that? <laughs> seventeen movie seventeen. Well, they almost had one in Iron Man three. Almost, almost isn't, isn't good almost enough. isn't good enough, Rob. Yeah. Um, no, I just I think it's quite funny that yeah, mm. they're coming in at almost twenty films, and this is the first. I mean, look, she's a great first female villain. Maybe that's because women aren't villainous. Mm. <laughs> you don't buy that, do you? No. no. Okay. She was actually stunt doubled by um, uh, Zoe Bell. Oh, yeah. Who I'm sure I, I actually that. saw in the film at one stage um, yeah, as sure. just a, a background character. In fact, literally as a background character. She was standing behind um, Idris Elba, I think. Actually, no, I'm sure she was one of the Asgardians. Hmm. Uh, Idris Elba is very solid once again as Heimdall, yes. uh, the all-seeing um, guardian of the Rainbow Bridge. Not quite so doing his job this time. Uh, and um, Jeff Goldblum is sublime as the Grandmaster. I mean, I've said this before. I love him. He plays himself in everything, but I'm fine with it because he's Jeff Goldblum, so yeah. he can do whatever he wants. He does a lot of improv in this one. I think they all do. I read somewhere that a lot of the script was improvised. Hmm. Which also goes to show, I think, how great they are because the chemistry is is spot on. Oh, speaking of um, people we've seen before, uh, his two ICs is played by Rachel House. Yeah, who was from Wilder People. Wilder People, Paula, the childcare worker in that, who had way too much power for, for a government employee. And this time, she again, she's got the same sort of thing going. <laughs> she looks great in armour, though. Oh, oh no, God, I she think looks so formidable. That whole vibe of all of the stuff with the Grandmaster was just perfect. Yeah. It looked good. Oh, it was awesome. Everybody was just having fun. We also have a newcomer to the MCU, Tessa Thompson, playing, mm. uh, uh, what is it, Bounty Hunter number, not Bounty Hunter, where is it? Bounty Hunter? Um, number 142, I think that Scrapper was the number they got. Scrapper 142, yeah. Um, she's great. Yeah, she's good. Um, the character that she's playing in the in the comic books uh, is quite a uh, hard bitten, tough um, warrior, and mm. she certainly nails that. But she has fun with it too. Yeah, I think she's a really great choice. I think she's a good addition. Mm. And she she works quite well playing opposite um, Hulk. Yeah, they've got a nice chemistry. Mm. Um, I think actually she's a good replacement for Jane Foster. Uh, in this one. It goes without saying. It's like, yeah. <laughs> piece of cheese is a good replacement for a dead fish. She said, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, Natalie Portman didn't even really care about being in the Thor movies. Look, I, I watch watching Dark World again. Um, they've given her a lot more to do in the f- second one. Uh, it's actually a big chunk of stuff that's devoted to her, and it actually does work. Mm. She she sort of gets to the stage where you kind of believe her as love interest. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think I. I don't think at the core, her and Chris Hemsworth really have much chemistry. No, it didn't. It, didn't really it doesn't really set spark. this screen on fire. 
Exactly. <laughs> Sparks. No, exactly. Screen on fire. Uh, anyway. Raging fire. <laughs> smouldering fire. <laughs> Tiny smouldering fire. <laughs> she reckons that uh, Tess says she was inspired by Linda Hamilton playing Sarah Connor. Mm, yeah, yeah. You can kind of see that in there. Uh, we've also got uh, Carl, Carl Urban, yeah. Dr McCoy. He's great. Um, just gets a little sort of part in this. It's uh, And he puts on a great accent too. I like him. I've always <laughs> liked Carl Urban. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he has um, uh, links to New Zealand uh, television with the Xena Warrior Princess yeah. show and so on. Uh, Mark Ruffalo again. He is so cool an actor. I, I like Mark Ruffalo. I also like the version of Hulk that they're going with for this. Yes, yes. Um, and I think you need to do that if you want to get some Thor Hulk action going. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have Hulk do more than just be large. Um, and smash things. <laughs> exactly. And I, I thought they were both great. I thought Mark Ruffalo as Hulk was great and I thought Hulk as Hulk, like, yeah, it was all good. It was perfect, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the fact that when, you know, he's got these two characters going and they're both interface with other people, mm. but they're not sure about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you get this weird dynamic once they've changed. Uh, also, like, there's some other cameos in there. We know that Doctor Strange is um, appearance in it because we, you know... We've seen snippets of that from his film. That. Yes, from his film. Uh, and it's nice to see Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, but whenever he talks in that accent, it freaks me out. Yeah. It's, it's like not, watching a dog walk on his hind legs. Not quite right. <laughs> that can happen in the MCU a lot. That's true. You know, so... Um, and and uh, I did like that Clancy Brown did the voice of... Um, uh, Serta, uh, that was kind of cool as well, mm. uh, and we um, have some very funny, very funny kind of um, appearance by <laughs> Taika himself. Oh, that's well. so good! Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's some good little characters in this. I mean, I think that some people will find that it's sort of trying to do what Guardians did, but I actually think it's it's in the similar vein. Like, obviously, Marvel's gone, well, that was a popular way yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. How can we do that in its own way? And it's because it is quite unlike, I think it's quite unlike any of the previous movies and very unlike the last Thor movie. You could sort of, uh, it's got a Deadpool vibe going in parts, but not, not as... Not as hammy. Not as evil. No. It's yeah. more... I, I also think all the parts line up nicely. Like, obviously, the the right chemistry is showcased. Like, people who get yeah. along well have scenes together. People who are good at doing a certain type of comedy get to do that here. Like, everybody's doing the role they're supposed to do. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes it come together so nicely. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, the whole point of it is that it's fun. It's not Thor's sad because he's, like, adrift in some <laughs> galaxy or Loki's being weird, like, let's hate on him for betraying again. It's like we expect him to do what he does, get into mischief. We expect Thor to kind of think he's the king of whatever. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, a bit of fractured with what's actually the reality. I, I do love the, um, uh, the the dynamic between Hulk and Thor. There's one part of it which is basically, like, they're school kids. You know, they they act like school kids yeah. together, you know, and you just think that's pretty much what, what it would be like. But then there's actually one moment, and it's really a, not really a spoiler of this, um, where uh, Thor gives a, reels out a line of techno babble uh, about, um, you know, um, wormholes. Oh, and, yeah. so, and it's actually quite, quite yeah. sophisticated. And you think, well, of course, he's, you know, 5,000-year-old Asgardians. Mm. They use... Um, uh, 
they're into techno majory, basically. Mm. So he's, you know, he's not a dummy. I think, and I think it's sort of trying to insinuate because that was a large part of the other movies. Hmm. It's sort of trying to create a little bit of. Yeah, of a link there. On his own home turf, sort of, in space, Yeah, he's quite, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's got a, a fairly good tactical head on his shoulder. But I also like that that dynamic of, you know, the father with the two bratty sons that just fight. Like, it's yeah. just, it's a family matter. Like, that's kind of the subtext of this whole thing. It's it's like a family matter. And I like that Thor and Loki are quite childish in some ways. Like, that's kind of where the comedy comes from. And of course that's one of um, Taika's uh, signature um, tropes, family and they explore that quite a bit in this one. So what do you think in summation about um, Um, Ragnarok? I really enjoyed it. I think it needed, that franchise needed a bit of invigoration. Like I barely remember what happened in the dark world nor do I care. I think that it's a lot of fun it's funny. I think it does so much for Thor's character. Like, he actually has, like, there's been hints of things like the comedic stuff, the fish out of water. It's all been hinted at and waved over so far. And I think in this they've really, like, leaned into it and I think that's such a great thing. Um, Capitalised on his relationship with Loki. I think for once Tom Hiddleston didn't just, like, run away with the whole film. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I That's think true. Chris Hemsworth had enough to work with. Like, he really got good stuff, good material. Love, Tyker. Well done, everyone. Mm. 10 out of 10. We'll yeah. see you again. I have I, – I mirror that, actually. Um, I, you know, if I was um, – to give it the, the zero G, uh, yeah, nah, or maybe, uh, I say the yay. Yeah. It was just a damn fine film. And it was fun. Like, I, I it was only, enjoyable to watch. I only have one caveat. Um, uh, some, <laughs> bo- some beloved characters, um, beloved by me, mm. <laughs> possibly only by me, uh, are not particularly well served in this and I'm, I'm very sad about that. Um, but... Uh, look, we know that the, you know that there's a Stanley cameo. Of course, of course. Yes. I think it's a good one too. Yes. I like some of the stuff that's been done with Thor's character. Let's and, just say that. And in context, I'm pleased to say that we finally get to see a Stanley knife. <laughs> 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 but remember from um, Guardians Two, he's a watcher. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the mysterious people who watch the universe in the M- MCU, uh, hence why he keeps popping he up everywhere. He pops up everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. But I think what they've done with Thor is cool. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing him in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Although he's obviously not going to be as big in that. I'll tell you what, speaking of big, in 3D at the IMAX, his arms go on forever. Yeah. They're like mountain ranges. You yeah, know, it's, it's obscene. Walnutting and pumpkining and all that sort of stuff into the distance. <laughs> it's I would say Hulk's size has oscillated wildly over the different Marvel incarnations yeah. in terms of his physical bulk. How big he is. Yeah. yeah. Here is a small, leaning towards a smaller sized Hulk, I would think. Hmm. Still so, imposing. So he can fit into rooms, I think. Well, yeah, that's the idea. Or that he's not... Yeah. Anyway, um, that's very they're a very small thing. Mm. Uh, I think I love what they've done with Hulk. I love what they've done with Thor, and I think that's good writing, good direction, and good acting. I like the world building in this. We get to see a really interesting mm. alien world, yeah. um, and As Asgard, of course, looks, always looks shiny and yeah. except when it's on fire. Except when it's burning. <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, parts of it are silly. Like, this is a bit of a ridiculous film, but yeah. not not stupid. But I think it's, it's clever in what it's doing. What it does is you, it makes you realise many of the th- events and, you know, we look, people say that comic book fans take things too seriously. I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realise, I understand how ridiculous some of these things are, but that's the fun of it. Yeah. It's not because yeah. we don't know that it's ridiculous. We yeah. know it and we go, you know, we titter in the background going tee hee that's what you're there for like they trot out some well-worn tropes but it's because they're fun to watch those things happen like those fight scenes are what you're there for those different um character notes are what you enjoy going along and watching these films and i think that's why marvel's been so successful so another tick on Mm. the list of marvel films and by the way the depth that they put into it not just in the terms of characters but in the uh 3d Mm. um that was great there'd be some epic um Scenery, I think. Sometimes it was just simply a crowd scene. Yeah. You know, you felt like you were the, the person standing in front of that crowd and you could look over there and there and there and then yeah. back into the background. Just this basic sort of thing that's very nice. Mm. And lots of things coming at you and blowing up and although still... Whizzing by. Although still not as much as with the old 3D processes. They, yeah. They've sort of eschewed that because it's more going back from you. Whereas I do remember I saw Beowulf in 3D. I think that was the first 3D movie I ever saw and there's like a spear that comes right at your face. They, yeah. they tend to shy away from that these days. Yeah, it's like a cliche. But it works for a hammer. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell you, if there's, a, uh, there's an armourer out there, somebody in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is really good at making weapons, I think Thor's going to have a contract for him. And does he have a new outfit? His yeah. outfit looks yeah, totally it changed, different. Changed it it's more like armour. Mm. Mm. Um, so he's going he's gonna to have to have a talk to Tony. He's had a real makeover. <laughs> I, I really love it. I think it's... Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's it for Zero G today. Um, Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it for today. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to Asher Holmes for the help with the uh, the, the um, Spirey Brothers interview. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.